There comes a time in everyone's life when they start to think about how many birthdays they may have left instead of how many they've already had. Do you see these numbers behind me? That's supposed to represent the time I have left before I die. It's called the death clock. Look it up. You can go to a website and enter in some information about yourself, and it calculates how much time you have left down to the actual date, believe it or not. Sobering, isn't it? And according to my death clock, I've got a little less than 40 years left to live. When you're young, you don't think about death. I guess we all assume we're going to live forever, or that death is so far off that it's not important to think about right now. And I guess I've just taken it for granted, assuming that I would have plenty of time to carry out my good intentions sometime down the road. When I was young, I was so idealistic. I wanted to change the world, and I honestly believed that I could. But somehow, without even realizing it, I settled. I bought into this notion, this idea, that by being successful, it would ultimately make me significant. Somewhere along the way, I traded making a difference for making a living. And so now, as I sit here and watch these numbers roll by, I wonder, what's life really about? Is this it? Is there more? Is there a bigger story that I'm supposed to be part of? I think of the days, weeks, perhaps even months that I've spent doing things that I thought were important, but ultimately, they were things that had very little to no value. That's all wasted time that I am never going to get back. So, the decision that I'm forced to wrestle with is this. If this is how much time I have left to live, how will I leverage it? Because truth be told, I'm not happy how I've leveraged it up until now. It's powerful. A lot of powerful thoughts that causes us to think about our time and our lives in a whole fresh way. I suspect that there will be a lot of you who will go home this afternoon and you'll think a little bit more about the message. Maven, hop on that website just out of curiosity to see exactly how much time you have left. Heck, some of you are probably on it right now going, man, do I even want to stay in the rest of this service or do I just need to get out of here and get some things in order before it's too late, right? That's the power. I know I hopped on that website earlier this week just to satisfy my curiosity. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't put a lot of accuracy in their projection, okay? And here's why. On that website, they only ask you four questions to determine when I'm going to die, okay? I think you need a little bit more information than that, but they ask current age. They want to know your BMI or your body mass index. They want to know, do you smoke? And then they want to know your outlook on life. Are you... Uh, pessimistic? Are you optimistic? Are you narcissistic? Or are you normal? Whatever normal means, you know, like how do you answer that? And then out of that, they kind of, you know, run everything through their calculations and they project when you're going to die. And for me, they believe that I'm going to die on April 20th, 2052. That means I've only got 30 years left to live. I'm 43 years old right now, and they believe that I'm going to die at the ripe old age of only 73 years old. Now, 
We don't like to think about it all that much. But the day is coming for every single one of us when our time is going to be up. For me, the death clock, they think I'm going to die in about 30 years. I I believe I'll probably live a little longer than that. But I may need to consider the possibility that I'll die way before that. See, the truth is none of us really know, but what we do know is that when you start thinking about the end, it changes the way you live right now. Did you catch what Clarissa said as she thought about the death clock and how much time she has left? She asked herself this question. She said, if this is how much time I have left, how will I leverage it? And then she admitted this. She said, the truth be told, I'm not happy with how I've leveraged it up until now. And I think that there are a whole lot of people who feel that way. A lot of us who probably look at the way in which we spend our time, and we would admit that a lot of us are wasting massive amounts of our time rather than really making the most of our time. And so today I just want to continue our conversation on time as we make our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is talking a lot about our time and how we spend it. Last week we talked about work and how much time we spend at work and what's the perspective that we need if we're going to make the most of that time. This week he shifts gears and so what we want to talk about is how we spend our time given that we are broken people who live in a broken world. This is what Solomon says, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Solomon wrote, said, And I saw something else under the sun in the place of judgment. Wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. In verses 16 and 17, Solomon is creating this kind of contrast between people who live their lives thinking only about life under the sun as opposed to people who live life thinking both about what is under the sun as well as what is beyond the sun. He's contrasting people who live their life, some of us, thinking only about the here and the now. But other people who live with this awareness of a then and a there. Those who live life under the sun, they're people who rarely acknowledge God, don't even think about God, may not even believe in God. But there are other people in the world who live for the here and the now. They're living under the sun, but they're living with an awareness that there is also a God beyond the sun. And so when Solomon is talking about those who are only living with a focus under the sun, he points out that we are living in a broken world and we are suffering under a broken system. Even more specifically, he says that when you look under the sun, you would hope to see in some places judgment, but instead what you see is wickedness. He says that when you look around in your world under the sun, you would hope that you would find justice, 
But instead, what you really find is wickedness and total corruption. And let me tell you something, that is the world in which we all live. We live in a broken world and we live with a broken system, not not just corruption. He says it's way worse than that. He says that if you knew what was really going on in the world, you would not call it corruption, you would call it wickedness. In Solomon's day, he saw all too often people in power who were oppressing people who were living in poverty. In our day, whether we see it or not, I think all of us know that there are a lot of backdoor deals going on, lots of shady handshakes, lots of corruption in the world around us. People who are doing things that they would never do if the world or the public community could really see what was transpiring. And they're often doing it out of selfish gain. What's the old saying? Power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. We live in a world where corruption and where wickedness run rampant, and that can be especially true among people in power. Now, Before you get too worked up on both sides of the political aisle, I need everybody to calm down and think about what Solomon's saying. So for all of my liberal friends who are ready to get defensive and protect current administration, or maybe all my conservative friends who are getting ready to attack current administration, take a deep breath and remember this. Solomon wrote these words over 3,000 years ago. This stuff was happening way before you got here, and it will continue to happen long after we are all dead and gone. Solomon wants all of us to think about the fact that there is a phrase he uses many times throughout the book, there is nothing new under the sun. This stuff has been going on for as long as people have walked the earth. And so the question that you need to ask yourself today is this, how are you letting that kind of stuff affect your life? Or let me ask it like this, does the broken world and the broken system consume your time and your attention? For a lot of us, the answer is yes. We spend massive amounts of time reading the news, listening to the news, or watching the news. We spend a whole lot of time trying to understand the events of our day and what is everyone saying. People who agree with me, what are they saying? People who disagree with me, what are they saying? And then we spend even more time talking with our family and talking with our friends about current events and all that's happening in the world around us. And I get it. Because when you see injustice, when you see corruption, when you see wickedness and things that are wrong with the world, it's easy to get sucked in with it. It's easy to get frustrated with it. I'll be the very first one to admit that. The problem with this is when you allow this stuff to consume your life, when you allow it to consume your time and your attention, it will take you down a path that you do not want to go in life. 
When you read the news, when you watch the news, the news is almost always comprised of things that are wrong with the world. And it's the job of the news anchor and the news producer to hype it all up so that you will believe that you need to tune in for the next hour or you need to tune in tonight when you get home from work, or you need to tune in again tomorrow so that this stuff can consume your time. And what they're doing, according to Solomon, is they're making a really big deal out of something that has been around for a really long time. And they call it news. And I'm telling you, there is nothing new about it. This stuff has been happening since mankind first walked the earth. And if you allow this stuff to consume you, if you allow it to consume your time, then what it will produce in you is massive amounts of anxiety. You may become depressed. You will almost certainly become distracted from what matters most you will probably experience a lot of stress and you may even become incredibly fearful. This is why Christine Kane tells people, you need to get off of Facebook and get your face in the book. Okay, I love that line, right? That's what so many of us need here. I just need to get off Facebook and I need to get my face in the book because when we are always watching the news, when we are always scrolling through social media, then what ends up happening is we spend all of our time watching it, then we spend all of our time complaining about what happened yesterday, arguing about what's happening today, and worrying ourselves sick about what is happening tomorrow. And the truth is, none of us can do anything about it. And so as you think back to the death clock and how you want to spend your time, let me ask you this. Is that really how you want to spend the time of your life? Massive amounts of time consuming and regurgitating the quote-unquote news. To help us, Solomon says, I want you to see the bigger picture. I I do not want you living your life focused on only that which is under the sun. And so what Solomon does is he turns his attention beyond the sun as he thinks about the fact that, yes, we live in a broken world, and yes, the system is broken, but it helps him to see the complete, the full picture. So this is what he said in verse 17. We just read it. Read it again. He said, God will bring every deed into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. So there's going to be a time. It's already been appointed. When God will judge all of the good things that should have been done, the righteous, and there will be a time when he will judge all of the bad things that should have never been done, this thing called wickedness. There really is a time for all of that stuff. But in terms of judging everything that's happening in a broken world, we need to remember there is a time and there is a place for everything. And the time is not now. The time and the place is not your living room or around the kitchen table or in your bedroom. Because if that's how you spend your time, that will prove 
to be a royal waste of your time. Now, as I look at verse 17, I see what I want to call both a comforting thought and I also see what I want to call a very concerning thought. It's comforting to know that God is not going to let people get away with this stuff. People in power, they are not going to get away with replacing judgment and justice with wickedness. They are not going to get away with their backdoor deals and their shady handshakes. In fact, Psalm chapter 37 verse 13 says that the Lord laughs at the wicked for he knows their day is coming. He laughs at them. He thinks you're, you think you're going to get away with that? There, there is coming a day when you will be held accountable for the wicked things that you did when you should have been upholding judgment, when you should have been upholding justice in the world and you chose wickedness oftentimes for selfish gain. And so for those of us who are not in positions of power, for those of us who know we really couldn't do all that much about it, We don't need to spend our precious time watching it, complaining about it, arguing about it, crying about it, getting anxious about it, because our God is going to deal with it. We can trust him to deal with it in his time and in his way. What did the text say? It said he has appointed a time for every activity. He has an appointed time when he will judge every deed. It's already on the docket. Now that's a comforting thought. It's a comforting thought to know that that I don't have to spend my time on that kind of stuff because God's going to take care of it. But It's also a really, really concerning thought because what this verse tells me is that God is not just going to judge everyone else's deeds. He's going to judge my deeds too. And everybody needs to get ready before it's too late. And this right here really is Solomon's point. When you think about the fact that you live as a broken man, as a broken woman, in a broken world, under a broken system, should you really spend your time worrying about what everyone else has done? Or should you spend your time worrying about the things that you have done? And that's the concerning thought. Because I need to take a long, hard look at my own life rather than worrying about what everybody else is doing. Verses 18 to 20, here's our wake-up call for the day. I said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over the animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust. And to dust, all return. At the risk of stating the obvious, Solomon is letting us know that animals die and people die too. The same fate awaits us both. And so you think about that and you go, okay, that's insightful, maybe a little bit. But but how is that helpful? 
Like, how does that help me as I'm a broken man living in a broken world under a broken system? It's helpful because humans, traditionally speaking, they live way longer than animals. And so when animals die, it's a kind of trigger that should make us think about the fact that we will also die as well. In fact, in just a few chapters, Solomon's going to talk about the fact that you need to think about your own mortality You need to think about your own death. You need to think about your own destiny before it's too late. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, a few chapters from now, Solomon's going to write this. He says, death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. The people who are still alive are the ones who need to be thinking long and hard about their own destiny. They need to be thinking long and hard about their own death. And so when you see an animal die, it should probably create in you this willingness to think about the afterlife, to think about life, not just under the sun, but what is happening beyond the sun. So last year we had a very close animal in our family that died. We had a dog named Haley. Haley was about 13, maybe 14 years old. We had her from when she was first born. That dog, we loved her, man. I mean, she slept in bed with me every night. Like, I love that dog. My wife loved that dog. She would just like get in between us and pin us into that bed. And we love that dog. In fact, we love that dog so much that when Haley died, we convinced ourselves we're never having another dog again because that hurt so bad, none of us wanted to go through it. I mean, the vet was literally like, guys, it's time. And we're like all in there crying. And she sent us a sympathy card after it was over. Like it was, it was an emotional experience for us. And we were just like, man, that, that was painful. I do not want to go through that ever again. And then my buddy Adam and I, we were talking one day And Adam had had to put down one of his dogs as well last year. And Adam said to me, he said, you know, I I think I know why God allowed dogs to only live for about 10 or 15 years. I said, why is that? And he said, because over the course of your life, you will have five or six experiences where something that you really love dies and it will force you to think about death in a way that you normally would not think about it. Now, I don't know if that's why God made dogs to only live for 10 or 15 years, but what I do know is that the same fate awaits us all. We're all going to die. And it's a kind of wake-up call when we see death in an up-close and personal way. And all of a sudden, I'm not just thinking about the here and the now. Now I'm forced to think about then and there. When I have to deal with the reality of death, I'm not just thinking about what's going on in everybody else's life. All of a sudden, I have to start thinking about what's really going on in my life. I have to think about my time. I have to think about whether or not I've leveraged my time in the right way. I have to think about who I've been. I start thinking about where I'm going. And one of the things that I've come to believe in my heart is that there is something deep inside every single one of us that has this desire just to somehow make our way back home. 
back to our Heavenly Father. In fact, Solomon actually spoke about this just seven or eight verses earlier when he says that God is the one who has set eternity in the human heart. See, God didn't plant death in the human heart as if to lead you to believe that this is it, that this is all there is. No, what he did is he planted eternity in the human heart so that something inside of you is screaming at you all throughout your life going, there's got to be more than just this, than just life under the sun. There's really got to be something that is beyond the sun. And I would even say that, that it's a kind of homing instinct. It's something that your maker has put inside of you to drive you back to your home, right? So anybody got a drone? Not, not with you, but like you just own a drone. Like that, that would be scary. Okay, maybe a couple of you have a drone. If you have a drone, they have these like really elaborate drones now. And on the control panel, there is literally a button and you can just slide that button and the, what will happen is it will cause that drone, wherever it is, it will cause it to return to home. Okay, so, so that drone can be miles away from you. And you just slide that button and there's something inside of it that, that brings it back to its home, right? And this is not just true of the things that we've created. This is how God created, okay? So when God created the homing pigeon, what did he do? He put something inside of that homing pigeon that, that would allow it to make its way back home. In fact, you can take a homing pigeon to places on the planet that they have never even been before. And their creator puts something inside of it that just makes it go back home. Home. In fact, they're so accurate and they're so dependable that ancient Romans used to use homing pigeons for navigation. It's not just homing pigeons. Think about the great salmon. What happens to a salmon? They're born in a river. Then they make their way out into the open ocean. But right before they die, there's something inside of them that says, I just want to go back home. And so they start to migrate and they make their way, in many cases, back to the exact spot in the river where they were first born. And that's where they die. Why? Because the creator put that inside of them. And let me tell you, he put that inside of you and me. This is why Solomon said, God has set eternity in the human heart. So we don't like to think about death, but we all accept the fact that we are going to die. The only question is this, will we make our way back home? Will you make your way back to your heavenly father? Up until this point in the book, Solomon has been answering the age-old question, what is the meaning of life? And he has offered a tremendous amount of wisdom on that subject. But now, Solomon starts to think about the end of life. He has to answer another age-old question. It doesn't matter where you were born, and it doesn't matter when you were born. You've wanted to know the answer to this question. It doesn't matter what century you were born in or what continent you were born on. You want the answer to this question. You want to know, what am I supposed to do about the wrong things that I've done. We all know that there's not just corruption out there. 
We all know that there's corruption in here. We all know that there's not just wicked things that other people have done. We all know that there's some wicked things that we've done as well. And we're wondering, what am I supposed to do about the wicked things that I've done? If I'm going to die, and if Solomon is right, if God is going to bring every deed into judgment, what am I supposed to do about that? I'm a broken man. I've made some mistakes in my life. And Solomon, in all of his wisdom, this is what he says. Who knows? It's like, come on, man. But look at verse 21. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? Solomon's going, man, I'm sure about a lot of things. I'm sure that the world is broken. I'm sure that I'm broken. I'm sure that there's more to life than just what we see under the sun. I know that there's a God who lives beyond the sun. I know that that God is going to judge every single deed that that has ever been done at some point in time. But, But what I don't know is really what happens to a man after he dies. Now, Solomon may not have known. But Jesus did. Solomon came from the dust and to the dust he would return. But Jesus, he came from heaven and to heaven Jesus would return. Now Jesus did not just come and go. Jesus came with knowledge and Jesus came on a mission to teach. In fact, the most common designation for Jesus during his lifetime on the earth was the word rabbi. That's how people referred to him. Rabbi meaning teacher. And so Jesus came to teach and to answer the age old question for people. What do I do about the wrong things that I've done? How how do I make my way back home? And so to answer the question, Jesus tells a story. It's a story about a young man who wandered away from his father. He he made a lot of mistakes, a a lot of stupid decisions, but he comes to a point in his life where he says, all I want to do is go back home. This is what Jesus said when he taught the story. Luke 15, verses 11 to 24. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. In that day and in that culture, it was basically like saying, I I just wish you were dead so that I could have my money now. I'm sick of this farm. I'm sick of this town. I want to go out and see what the whole world is really like and what it has to offer. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in while living. I would also add he squandered his time in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He's trying to, to fix the wrong things that he's done on his own, right? Without the help of the father. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, man, I hope people come to their senses before it's too late. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? 
And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Give give me a job. Give me something that I can do to, to make all of this right and to get out of the mess that I'm in. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, here he goes. He's getting ready to to deliver the speech, the speech that he wrote while he was feeding those pigs. It's the speech that he's practiced all the way there. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. So why does Jesus teach us that story? What's he hoping that we would learn from a story like that. What did this young man have to do about all the wrong things that he had done? What did he have to do about the fact that he just told his dad, I I wish you were dead. I I wish I had my money. What what did he have to do when he went out and he squandered years of his life in wild living? When he squandered his money in, in wild living? What did he have to do about all the wrong things that he had done? I look at the story and I see three things. He had to acknowledge his sin. There's some wrong things that I've done. I I may not have thought they were wrong when I left my father and when I went to do them, but but now I realized they were wrong. He had to want to come back home. And then third, he had to receive his father's grace. That's it. And so as you think about your own life, as you think about your own time, some of the mistakes that, that you've made. What I suspect is that there are a lot of you who go, man, I just want to make my way back home before it's too late. And if that's you, I want you to know all your heavenly father really wants to see in you three things, a willingness to acknowledge your sin. Just say to him, yes, God, you know, I know, my conscience knows there are some wrong things that I've done. He wants to see, number two, a desire in you to come back home. To say, I do not want to live my life like that anymore. I want to go back home and be with my father. And then third, a willingness to just trust in and to receive the father's grace. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to be a servant for it. Just trust in and receive the father's grace in your life. Christians have believed this for thousands of years. Back in the first century, there was a letter that was written to a group of people in the ancient city of Ephesus. And this is what they were told. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, nothing that you did. It's simply the gift of God. And so as you think today about what are the wrong things that I've done and what do I do about those things? 
My hope and my prayer for you is that you would simply put your faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ, and that you would receive God's grace, which is simply a gift that you could never earn. If you want to do that, if you want to talk to a pastor about anything that's going on in your life, if you want to talk about your broken relationship with God, to my right, to your left, are two double doors. Those two doors are going to open, and a bunch of our staff are going to be in there to pray with you and to talk to you about anything that God has been saying to your life today. The band is going to come out, and they're going to close with a song that's very, very appropriate. It's called Amazing Grace. And so I'm going to pray, and then I want us to stand and sing this short song together. But if you need a pastor to pray with you, please come through those double doors, and and let's talk about what God's doing in your life this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. I, I pray, God, that we would think long and hard about how we spend our time, given that we live in a broken world with a broken system. God, may we get our eyes off of everyone else and get our eyes on our own life and our relationship with you. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.